Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, it's Mike Pownell, and welcome back to another episode of Hire the Smile, episode number nine, where we talk about all things human resource related for veterinary practices. And as always, I am joined by our HR expert at Oculus, uh, Katie Arline. Hi, Katie. Hi, Michael Pownell. How are you today? Oh, just dandy. It's um, snowing, so that's nice, you know? <laughs> I was just outside and there's, there were some flurries. That's yeah. Let's not talk about that. There's other horrible things going okay. on in the world that we can't add snow to that <laughs> list. Ugh. That's Ugh. true. Ugh. We're still in the midst of COVID and we're sort of locking down a bit in Ontario, Canada and to think that snow is coming. It's going to force us inside even more. It's just not where I want to go. Yeah. I mean, it won't stay forever. This snow. No, 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 no. It's just, that's just. You yeah, got a couple more months. It's a tease. Yeah. So one, I thought we could talk today. Usually, we look at some articles and uh, related to human resources, links, thing, interesting things. I thought, let's. You know what? We have been uh, asked a lot. We've been presenting a lot. We've been doing some webinars for companies on employee engagement. And employee engagement is something that we really got serious about in 2016. And, you know, I've been doing it at my practice for a while and we can talk about it. We've been doing it for a lot of uh, doing this employee engagement survey for uh, many dozens of practices with Oculus, been involved with a big study uh, in the EU. So, uh, Katie, can you tell us what employee engagement is? Definitely. So the employee engagement is really the degree to which your employees feel like they kind of live the purpose and the vision and the values of your company. So it's the degree to which they are kind of working beyond for just a paycheck. They feel like the work has personal meaning to them, or they feel like the company's uh, aims has personal meaning to them. So they kind of, they go above and beyond and they're generally more productive. And there are a number of other benefits that I feel like we're going to get into shortly (laughs) that go along with having engaged employees. I guess another way of looking at it is that if you're the, you know, you're the owner of the practice or a manager, you know, we always talk about, I just wish somebody just cared, you know, it's like they just come in, they clock in, they leave at the end of the day and they just go through the motions. Whereas engaged employees, they're going above and beyond. They're leaving. They're still thinking about work. It's not like we want their life to be consumed by work, but you know, to be blunt, they give a shit and they're going to try harder and they're working harder and everybody, the whole team is on board like that. Definitely. And I think for me, the big um, payoff or the other side of the equation is that in highly engaged employees are way more likely to be uh, stars at customer service and clients mm-hmm. really pick up on, you know, when people are just sort of doing something other than picking up the phone and chewing gum and saying, yeah, what do you want? Yeah. Uh, they can tell when they really are cared about. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's the engaged employees that give them that kind of experience. We all go into businesses. You can sort of, I mean, whether we define it or we call it employee engagement, but we can tell when a a company's staff is into it and you know they they mm-hmm. they want to do well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all sounds nice and soft, and I know there's probably people listening to this and maybe rolling their eyes and going, "Well, just do the job. We're vets. That's all we care about." But I think as you start 
saying, well, what are the hard or what are the, you know, the, the quantifiable advantages of employee engagement? So let's just run through some statistics. Yeah, for sure. Employee turnover is reduced by 59, 60%, let's call it. So employee turnover is when, you know, people are just leaving, they quit, you have to get rid of them. They're not leaving because they're going back to school or they're going on maternity leave. They're just, they don't want anything to do with the company anymore. So it's the amount of people that you have to replace every year. Yep. And that is so expensive replacing mm-hmm. people. Like, you know, the amount of time to go to training, searching, interviews, oh, the loss of institutional knowledge. I mean, the list is huge. So 60% reduction, really good. Yeah, huge. We get lower absenteeism, almost 40% lower absenteeism. Uh, people who are just like, I'm sick. And I'm saying that with air quotes or whatever. There's always a reason why they don't come into work. So that's that's wonderful. And I think for uh, as medical practitioners to think that we there's 41% fewer mistakes and high qu- higher quality work is huge. Like we don't want errors in medicine. So if everybody is on board, not making mistakes, that's better for us. And then the other one, which I think is really relevant to this profession, because everybody's having a hard time finding new vets, new employees, or we're trying to do more with less. You know, a lot of us are still doing curbside pickup. Uh, and engaged employees are 17% more productive. So they do more. Yeah, I was thinking about that number and kind of how to quantify. And I was thinking, uh, you know, if you have somebody who, you know, with salary, uh, you have support staff that's making like $40,000 a year. Uh, That's like $8,000 more production. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a valid... I'm not the math whiz, but you know, if, if you kind of look at it that way, then that's an easy way to put it into actual dollar amount. Well, that or the other, the flip side of that is, is let's, so let's call it, I think it was 17%. So let's call it 20% just to make easier math. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that means you could have five meh employees mm-hmm. that are just going through the motions, or you can have four really good engaged employees that are doing the work of five. It's interesting when we have clients that we work with and if they're inefficient and sort of uh, whatever the job function is, they're like, oh, we need more people. We need more people. And we say, well, maybe not. Maybe we just need to make sure that the people that you have are trained and know what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, they're working to the the fullest. So, yeah. And let's get into that next, because I think the elements of employee engagement, I think we could probably spend the bulk of our time on. Last statistic, which I think is sort of puts the bow on it, is companies with higher engaged employees have 20% more revenue or sales turnover, however you want to call it, compared to just your typical company, and 21% higher profitability. So there is an economic, a strong, strong economic argument or financial argument to have highly engaged employees. So Yeah, definitely. And I'd say um, just to slide in here, you know, being in human resources and HR for uh, quite a while now and HR, it's not so much anymore, but still there's a bit of having to legitimize what HR does and why it's important. And it's, it's interesting for a CEO or it's easy for a CEO of a company to say, that's all soft skills. And like, it doesn't really matter, but when you can give them numbers and you can put a dollar amount to it. And I've seen, um, I should have had it pulled up. I think it's Gallup has like a calculator where you can plug in a number of different metrics and you can see how much employee engagement does or doesn't cost you. It's really interesting. It takes into account a number of different factors. I should find that. We'll find it and post it with the notes. Yeah, that's fascinating. Cool. 
so let's talk about the survey. So I'll give you a bit of story background. So I had just finished my MBA and my life had been transitioning. Instead of reading veterinary journals, I started reading more and more business magazines. And one I subscribed to is MIT Sloan and Great Business School in Massachusetts. And they had an article on employee engagement. And I started reading it and I, you know, all of a sudden I was like, this sounds amazing. Wow. You know, they're talking about big multinational corporations, but I said, this is absolutely applicable to a small business like a vet practice. So in 2016, we did the first survey and I'll let you explain what the survey is. And then I'll talk about the results because the results and what we did and the impact that it had was pretty profound. For sure. So the survey itself, the Oculus version that we put together has 32 questions that are really posed as statements that the staff are asked to either agree or disagree with on a five point scale from strongly disagree up to strongly agree. And there's a spot there for them to put comments as well. Uh, The big thing about the employee engagement survey is that it's anonymous. So, you know, if the company is big enough, then we do, we ask demographic information, which is just, are you a veterinarian? Are you a technician or a veterinary assistant? Or are you support staff help such as customer service reps or, you know, those sort of associated jobs. Uh, But other than that, it's fully anonymous. Uh, You know, we try and have people be as honest as possible. And when we work on this for clients, often they try and figure out who said what, and we don't actually give them verbatim comments. We put them together and we sort of scrub them up a bit to make them a little less identifiable as to who they're from. Uh, so anyway, put the, the survey together, 32 questions, folks answer it. And we'll talk about uh, the sort of five dimensions of the five areas that around the questions that are asked. But uh, the end goal is uh, we put together a report that goes into sort of what the numbers are, what the feedback was, depending on the company and really for the best, having the best veracity for the information. We also do one-on-one interviews with people. So What I'll do is uh, put together the initial survey results and look at the numbers and look at the comments and see where there are themes. And then we go into the practices or do it via Zoom as we're doing these days uh, and talk to people one-on-one and just try and get a little more context and a little more information from them. Uh, You know, a lot of the time as we are human and as is our nature, we tend to focus on the negative. So a lot of the time the comments are negative. You can't tell if they're from one person, are they from multiple people? So we try and go in and dig a little bit deeper and um, see what's going on at the practice. Uh, And then we put together a a report at the end and go over it with uh, the practice owner. Yeah. So 2016, we did our first employee engagement survey. You know, it was one of those things like, "Mm, what's this going to be like? And so we did it in the spring of 2016 and it was fascinating results. So if you have 80 or above, you're doing really well. So our initial score was like in the mid 70s. So yeah, pretty good. But you know, you know, we're as veterinarians, we're really mark focused. And I remember the first time I got the survey results back, I was crushed. And it was like the worst day of my life. But I'll, you know, but you also got to look at it as the opportunity that it ended up becoming like one of the best things I've ever done for the practice. Because what we noticed is our support staff, our non-DVMs had scored like 82%. Like they're pretty happy. I mean, there were some things, but they're generally pretty happy. But our vet scores were in the low 70s. And I remember like, what, what's going on here? So we sort of looked at the comments and it became really obvious to us that our vets were just tired. Busy equine practice. By time June shows up, 
everybody is burnt out. Nobody was really talking to each other. Everybody's just tired. Our busy seasons, like March to June, by the end of June, they're just, yeah, it was just not a fun place. So I was like, this is not good. You know, it's hard enough to hire vets. And this gets into the whole keeping people and attracting people. Nobody really wants to go into equine practice. You know, you don't want to be that practice that people burn out. That's like not why you went into vet medicine. That's not why you started a business. I don't want to be that person where I had a dream to be a vet and I did two years and I hate it. Like that's just not a a good legacy. So what we did is we had five days a week work. Our, Our vets are paid on salary. And I just said, you know, I want you all to have a career here. I don't want you to burn out. I don't, it shouldn't be a miserable existence. Let's go to a four day work week. Not going to change your salary. I just think that if you're fresher, you'll do a better job. It's more sustainable. It's the right thing to do. So we did that. And long story short, I remember just every month looking at our sales comparing to the last year and going, yeah, we just cut a day a week out of a five day week. So, you know, back to our simple math, you know, our sales will probably go down 20%. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. A year later, we looked at it with 20% less capacity. Our sales were up 13% compared to the year before. Blew me away. But by the end of June the next year, I remember because it was like started July 1st till the end of June. I remember like walking into the office one day and walking, getting close to the vet office and I'm just hearing laughter. Like it's June and the vets are laughing. And I just remember thinking, all right, this something's working. So not only were people happier, we made more money, we were more profitable, all the statistics that you see about. And then when we have done the surveys year after year, our scores just keep on going up. It's such a great tool. That's why I'm sort of uh, you know, like almost an evangelist about it. <laughs> it's just such a great tool to know what you're doing well, where you need to improve. And it gives a, such a great forum for your staff to anonymously and in a safe place saying, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. And if you can apply them and make those changes, it's so powerful. And I just, it's sort of, to me, it's sort of like you need an accountant, you need to get your taxes done every year. You you know, there are things you need to do. And to me, it's on that list should be that employee engagement survey because it's just so powerful. And I think, you know, going back to metrics and having HR have struggled in the past and still currently with that, you know, proving themselves and proving that HR is a worthwhile investment, being able to have the employee engagement score uh, is such a, a valuable and a powerful tool uh, because people yeah. pay attention for sure. And it's not just for big practices either too. So I just want, I don't want people listening in and going, like, well, you're talking about having an HR department. I'm only a two vet practice or a single vet. I mean, we'll get into it later or some of the components of it, but it's any size practice. You can do it. I mean, if it's too small, then you're, any, any degree of anonymity is gone. So I think you need, you know, there's a baseline of how many people you need to have, but when you're a very small group, you kind of know what's right or what's wrong. And what we have found over the years when we've done the survey with the practices that we've worked with, the smaller the practice, usually a better score just because it's more family-like and... Uh, less personality. So, <laughs> yes, much less personality. So For sure. So let's talk about the five components within it because I think that's key. Yeah. So uh, five components. Um, The first one is career development. So it's questions like, you know, how people feel about their opportunities for growth within the company, uh, how they feel about whether the company supports them uh, to do continuing education or not. And uh, this is not just sort of, this is more of a global type question in that, it's not just measuring how people feel about what the company's doing for them. 
uh, but also are people meeting their potential? You know, we have folks that work, you know, veterinarians, it's, this is a career for them, but we also have lots of people uh, and support staff who are enthusiastic about horses uh, or uh, small animals, and they're really getting off and they're getting started in their careers. And, you know, this isn't going to be a lifelong pursuit for them, but, you know, we have a, a real responsibility as managers and as leaders to develop people regardless of what their end goal is. So the questions in this section also sort of say, you know, are, are, is this company helping you reach your potential, whether this is your where you want to work for the rest of your life or whether you're going to move on after you've worked here for a few years? So that's the first section. The second one is work engagement. So this is, uh, you know, how people feel about the actual work itself. Do, are they taking ownership of the work? Do they feel like they have support from their peers? Do they feel like the workload's manageable? So there are questions like, uh, employees here are willing to take on new tasks required. I'm inspired to meet my goals at work. I have a sense of ownership and pride in the company. So it's those sorts of questions. Uh, the third section is always an interesting one, compensation and benefits. And this isn't just, is the company paying you enough or are you getting the benefits that you value? But, you know, we ask people to be better or to work as hard as they can and be engaged. And ultimately it's building our business as owners or as leaders, but the staff, it's sort of like a financial partnership concept. So do the staff feel like they're feel fairly compensated for the value they're helping you add to the company? And I thought that was just read that a couple of weeks ago. And I thought that was an interesting uh, way to think about it too. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, really, it's a partnership and are you paying yeah. the money that I'm worth for what's happening here? Relationship management is the fourth sphere. So it's the strength of relationships, uh, trust between coworkers and management. And there's a lot of questions here about communication. So things like communication between management and employees is excellent here. Uh, spoiler alert. It usually isn't. Uh, <laughs> my coworkers and I have an excellent working relationship, often very high, uh, senior management and employees trust and respect each other. And that's a, a question or a statement that often brings on a lot of very interesting comments and interesting scoring, uh, because often what the management thinks, and we didn't really say this before, but, you know, often owners of practices come to us and they say, okay, so there are these problems and this is why we're pretty sure this is why. And we say, okay, well, let's do the employee engagement survey and see what's really happening. And a lot of the time, the owners or the leaders, they might not necessarily see what their role is in what's happening, or they have it wrong, flat out wrong, what the issue is. So it's an it's a interesting opportunity to really find out what is going on. Uh, and that trust part comes out big time. When we did the first one, I was victim of that. We have our own assumptions and... I think as business owners, we like to think that our staff likes us more than they may or that it's much more cohesive. It's our baby. We've created it. So yeah. we're always going to look at it well. And so, but it's not always that way. And that's why the information is so amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So then the last uh, section that I have questions is work environment. So it's really looking at the degree to which the employees identify with the overall culture the purpose and uh, vision and goals of the company. So questions like the work we do here positively impacts our clients' lives. I'm happy with the overall culture of the company and uh, always interesting. I feel the management and staff of the company adhere to the core values if the company has core values. And it's, that's an interesting one because 
Uh, you know, when we talk about leadership, you know, to me, the main cornerstone of leadership is that, you know, when it, at least how it relates to culture and engagement and human resources is the leaders can't be exempt from any of the, uh, the initiatives that you're putting forward. They can't be exempt from the core values. They have to be on point and they have to be uh, setting an example. Otherwise, it's impossible for st staff to really be able to trust them. Uh, so there are often pretty interesting comments that go along with that one as well. No, it's it's a fascinating process, and so let's talk about some of the the uh, examples of some of the uh, clinics that we've worked with, in terms of how that has impacted. I know when I uh, did the four day week, um, a practice that we had done some work for in Germany, actually adopted that, and his results equaled ours in terms of higher productivity, higher revenue, happier staff. So it's sort of like, all right, it's not just N equals one. My own practice did well, but we're seeing other practices do that as well too. What are some of the things that have caught your attention? Because I know you've been more intimately involved in, in, in applying the, the survey. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, maybe not a direct consequence of the survey, but one of the, the questions in the survey, you know, are a few of the questions are around you know, what's the performance management system like? What happens as far as reviews go? And in the companies that haven't had reviews or really any sort of structured performance management, when we come in and we make some suggestions and we help them put that program together, it can be a huge turnaround. I'm thinking of one of the companies we work with in the Southern United States who didn't have any sort of program like this. And uh, we instituted it. And the staff really, you know, it's always a bit of, People, there's a lot of trepidation when you do a yearly review for somebody when they have never had one. But then once you put that together with having check-in meetings and really supporting the staff and asking them what they need, the staff can really turn things around and you can see engagement increase huge, hugely. And that's something that happened down in the Southern States uh, with one of the companies we work with. It's just, it's amazing to see, you know, once people get past uh, their fear or just thinking they're going to be told that things are wrong, uh, with what they're doing, then how people can really blossom and been be developed. Yeah, that's fun. Let's just very briefly, so we could probably spend literally five hours talking about this, and we have, uh, and presentations. But what are some of the key elements of a highly engaged company or with employees that are highly engaged? I'd say the big one is that everybody's very conscious about communication. Uh, and really all types of communication. So it could be anything from making sure that, you know, if all of the company needs to know something like if protocol changes or, you know, something's relevant, then we make sure that we're telling everybody in a way that they all can access. So, you know, we might assume, okay, well, I'm going to go all users with my email, uh, but maybe not everybody's near a computer enough to be able to pick up the email or it's too long and they don't have time to read it. So, you know, being challenged to think of other ways to communicate with people. And I think, too, the wisdom is that you have to repeat something 10 or 11 times for somebody to really understand and for it to sink in. And I think moving beyond assuming, well, I've already told them once or twice or three times, what is their problem? How come they're not getting it? We just let that go and say, OK, well, we're going to over communicate this and not in a like obnoxious way where people are like, oh, my gosh, I know. But making sure that they get it and making sure that they understand. I think that's a huge thing for sure. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about communication? 
my wife has a great line when she's talking when she's met some vets and they say oh, i love communication i just don't want to talk about it and we <laughs> see that so often and everybody's like i'm too busy i'm too busy but i agree i think the, the prevailing theme is the lack of communication i have a great example so you know uh, since covid i've been trying to be really aware of communicating and for the first few months i was communicating with a weekly email mm-hmm. And in that email, we're a very transparent company. We have profit sharing plans. So I try to keep people up to date on how we're doing financially. And of course, during COVID, while we were in lockdown in Ontario, our business didn't do great. Uh, since then, we've, we, we're, you know, we've rebounded and we're, we're fine. But you know, for about eight weeks, it was, it was kind of dicey, lots of sleepless nights. And I would have emails and I would explain things and I would talk about the wage subsidy we got from the government. That's very common to what uh, is going on in the EU. And, and I thought I was doing a fantastic job communicating. But then I would hear from, uh, we have three locations, and I'd hear from managers of each location that some of the people were sort of questioning this and questioning that. And I was sort of like, wait, wait, I, I, I put it in the email. Yeah. Why don't everybody get it? And then I realized is that, A, we get enough emails in the day. And if I do it weekly and maybe I just write terrible emails, I think they're probably a bit too long. And people are like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden, I just realized, you know what? I, I, I thought I was communicating well, but obviously I wasn't because people still had questions. Mm-hmm. And so since then, we have had uh, face-to-face, not face-to-face, we can't do that with COVID. We're in restrictions right now. But we had through Zoom meetings, uh, clinic-wide meetings where I could talk about things, explain things. And I think that's uh, alleviated a lot of questions uh, but it just demonstrated to me again that we just we uh, communication is dynamic, and uh, it, it's not always the best. You know, one medium, whether it's email or texting or whatever you want to do, is going to work for everybody. So you need to have a lot of tools in your toolbox. Yeah, definitely, and it's challenging. And I think uh, one other component that sort of goes along with communication that I think is really key in boosting employee engagement is talking to your staff, uh, one-on-one. So having conversations mm-hmm. with staff, you know, how are you doing? How's the company doing? Are we supporting you in the way that we should be? Uh, do you have any concerns? You know, uh, let's talk about goals. Do we need to pivot on the goals that we've set? So really just giving them, uh, an opportunity to have feedback or to give you feedback yep. and for them to receive feedback as well. I think that one's really big. Uh, you know, if you think about it in the context of a performance management system, you know, you shouldn't be talking to them only once a year when you do a review. That's an abject failure <laughs> on the part of management, yep. you know, because th- people are surprised and that you have that sort of terror of the performance review. Whereas to me, the review is more like, let's celebrate what happened this year. You know, we've been talking about it. You know, we've sat down and met six times this year, but we talk here and there as well. And, you know, it, it can be difficult because managers say, oh, we don't have a lot of time. And that might be true. But really, I've challenged people to make time for this because it's so crucial. Uh, you know, I, I think about places where levels of trust vary uh, between the practices that we work with, between the staff and the management and places where there is a high level of trust. There's a high level of communication. There's a high level of care that the management have and leadership have for the staff and what they're going through. So I think that's really important as well. I think the other element that we see time and time again, and this is global, is we don't 
thank people enough. We don't show appreciation. We don't acknowledge the great work people do. And I think almost in every survey, we see the results that we just, nobody appreciates me. And, you know, you can sit there and put your lower lip out and go, oh, well, they're just doing their job. Why should I care? And it's just like, well, you know what? Yes, you're doing your job, but people are going above and beyond. And we all like to be, you know, acknowledged. I remember I was talking to one vet and, you know, and she said, well, they're just doing their job. Why should I thank them? They're getting paid for it as in thanking enough. I said, okay, so you get a dog comes in, it's got a fracture or there's some, whatever. It's, it's an unusual presentation and, you know, you go to surgery or you prescribe a treatment plan, whatever, and the dog gets better. I said, do you enjoy it when the clients say thank you? And they're like, of course. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you're just doing your job. Why should they bother thanking you? And you can see the light bulb go on. Definitely. And it's like, oh, you're right. We all try hard and we'll try harder when we when our peers acknowledge our efforts. Definitely. And it's just a decent thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody, I mean, unless it's something like, you know, you walk into a room and turn the light on and somebody's like, thank you so much for illuminating my world. It's like, it's not about that. <laughs> it's <No>. about <laughs> uh, like meaningful thank you. So, you know, linking what they did to an outcome and how it was useful. And I mean, if you want to get like super powered gold standard, it's, you can link it back to your core values if you have them as well. You know, you really demonstrated teamwork when you came in half an hour early to make sure that the instruments were all set out for the surgery this morning. You know, it's something they didn't have to do. They did it because it was the right thing to do. And that should absolutely be recognized. Yeah. Generally people aren't ever sad to get a thank you. That said, people also need to learn how to accept praise. I think that's, that's sort of the funny flip side of this is um, people need to sit and say, okay, somebody went out of their way to thank me. They thought about what they're thanking me for and why it's important. I just need to say, thank you. Because often we're kind of like, oh, you know, Shaw, I'm just doing my job. So it kind of goes both ways. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to accept praise as well when it's due to us. Yeah, I totally agree on that one. And then I think the last thing we see a lot is is just confusion or the lack of clarity in terms of how people are compensated in terms of there's not really a formal review process it's or you know they may go through years without getting a raise and also they get a big raise but then nothing again and it's just that lack of consistency and then every year people are like am i getting a raise am i not getting a raise how much am i going to get a raise yeah and and just having a clear system and i think it's human nature we we all like routine we like reliability uh we like when the sun comes up every morning and i think the same thing you know it's just looking at your business with that eye actually i think would help a lot to say where are we inconsistent where are we not you know going back to communication sharing what's going on where are we making people guess and assuming and as veterinarians we all know that assuming is will bite us in the behind really badly yeah And so it's the same thing. We just take all the uncertainty out of it as much as possible. And I think people really appreciate that. Definitely. And I mean, when you're, especially right now during COVID or any, you know, if you're at a company that likes to try different things and uh, do a lot of change within the company, if you communicate or over communicate change and go the next step further and and, uh, involve the employee in the change, then it just goes over so much better. I mean, we see it time and time again, where, a sweeping change is made, uh, you know, for the veterinary assistants and they weren't involved in like, you know, is this reasonable? 
what does this look like from your perspective? You, the person that does this job every day versus me, the person who sits behind the computer, having people involved in change, including, you know, having people involved in their own development uh, and their own goals to, to bring forth change in their own work lives. It's so important. Uh, and really, I mean, that that's what engagement is is having people be involved and wanting them to take an interest and then having them really um, take the goals and take the change as, as their own. It's such a huge tool. So I think that's another like big time, you know, rule of thumb is making sure that you're involving people that need to be involved. Yeah. So as, as anybody that's listening in here, I mean, you can tell that this is a, a, a subject near and dear to our hearts. And I'm almost like saying, let's look, we got to probably stop talking about it because people are like, enough, yeah. enough. We love it. <laughs> so, so let's pivot. I mean, we, yeah, employee engagement, great. Anybody has any questions uh, about it, we can, we can address them in the next podcast, info at oculusinsights.net or on our Facebook page. And we'll happy to talk about it. But let's pivot to talking about expectations and routine, our <laughs> wins and fails. For sure. I can start with the win. Well, I'll start the, let's start with the fail. So we, we finished with that. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start with the fail. Okay. And it's, uh, it's totally a COVID related, but it's just, it's the decline of consideration for others during COVID. Uh, it's easy to pick on other countries or other areas when bad things happen, but it, when it happened in our own backyard in Canada, it sort of really annoyed me. So we're all, I don't know, wherever you are living, you hear these stories about people having huge events, private events, usually weddings that contravene any local rules that are like, you know, folks, we've got an, another wave happening, no big gatherings and no, you know, or they'll say no indoors, more than 10 people indoors, blah, blah, blah. And then you find out, I think in Long Island, United States, there was a big wedding and like 60 people were infected. And then uh, a suburb of Toronto last weekend, a big wedding again, about 50 people are, uh, were positive of it. And you're just like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. yes, a wedding is a very important thing, but so, so are the life. health, <laughs> life and the health of other people. And as somebody had, there was a great, a great meme I saw. There's no eye in wedding, but there's eye in ventilator. <laughs> oh. And that to me is my fail of people realizing they we're living in a society and we, we got to take care of each other. Definitely. Yeah. What's your fail? Uh, my fail is uh, an article or some information that came out. Uh, the article that I accessed uh, is the Human Resources Director uh, website. So hcamag.com. And it says that 49% uh, of Canadians are considering quitting their job. And here is why. Oh. Yeah, pretty bad. So uh, really, it's, it boils down to people feeling like companies are really just trying to save themselves. They're trying to protect the business and that employees are getting overlooked. I can empathize with that number definitely, but I think that this is sort of a bigger, bigger discussion in that the companies are also trying to stay afloat and they're trying to stay afloat for their employees. So it's, it's a real balancing act. Uh, but the main sticking point for people was that uh, in these places where people are unhappy was that the company wasn't really asking them what they needed and what they wanted and what would work for them. Uh, so, you know, having people working at home or having people have to deal with children who are in school at home. I think that, uh, you know, people are, are feeling like their, their work and their life are getting blended together and they don't necessarily like it. 
I thought that st- statistic was pretty sad. Mm, yeah. From what I've seen with the people that I that we work with, the, I think companies are doing their best. Uh, and definitely it could be, I don't want to say it could be much worse, but it's, I think it got, really goes back to communication and, and making sure that we're doing what we need to do for our employees. Uh, so that's my fail. It's just a, a general societal fail. Yeah. <laughs> really happy. Yeah. So let's do our wins. Okay. So I read uh, a great book. Roger Martin was the dean of one of the top business schools in Canada, and he's a very prolific writer, and he's written some of his books. I've been a big fan of all of his books, but he just came up with one, popped up on my Amazon recommendation, and it's basically when it's called When More Is Not Better, and it's Roger Martin, uh, R-O-G-E-R. And basically, his premise of it is is that in our focus of efficiency, and that's the subtitle of it, is how you know, and efficiency doesn't give us more. And I know so many practices that we visit, uh, it's efficiency. How can I be more efficiency? How can I be more efficient? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a price to pay for efficiency. And we're seeing it with COVID. All these countries were efficient. Well, let's just offsource the 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 manufacturing of PPE and then now that we need it we're like oh my gosh we don't have it we don't have access to it uh, I mean that's an obvious example but it just our focus on efficiency I think what it does is it really weakens our our businesses our our our, our governments our countries and he just has great discussions on you know hey this is what efficiency has brought us and then he has chapters on each subject so from business government education the one on education was fantastic. Fantastic. I loved it. I just thought it gave some great pathways of how we should be and this focus on just efficiency and draining, squeezing any penny we can out of the business is, you know, this goes back to what you're just saying about the fails of if people are just worried about the business is doing well, but not the people. And I just like, we've gone too much that direction. Well, and you don't have a business without the people. So, well, that's it. <laughs> And I, and I had that sort of light bulb moment a couple of years ago when we were talking about efficiency, efficiency, and I got into that. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that when you focus on efficiency, as you just said, it comes at an expense and the expense are the people that you work with. And so I sort of said, you know what? I realized I just, that was not good. And I'm going to ban the word efficiency from my vocabulary as it applies to our business. Really, the word we want is effective. Yeah. And effective might not be the cheapest way. It might not be the fastest way, but it's the best way. And I think that's how we have to start looking at things because I see too many uh, veterinary businesses and I don't know where they're getting it from. I kind of think I do, but I don't want to throw people under the bus is this focus on just being as profitable as possible and just and not giving people raises and just oh, got to be efficient. How can we do it with less people? Mm-hmm. And it's that, you know, that idea I was, I was talking to a client about this yesterday and we were having a discussion and it's like, we hate when we see people that are idle at work, it drives us crazy. Yeah. And so we're thinking we're not efficient. And so then we're like, well, if people are idle, we have too many people. So <laughs> let's get rid of somebody or let's eliminate a position. What happens when you're busy? I mean, it's in the, the idle days are rare. And so what happens is, is that when you, when you staff yourself, when you're slow, you're going to drown when you're busy mm-hmm. and you're not being very efficient then, and you're not at all being effective. That's my win. Well, and also this just came to mind is if you have folks that might be idle for a couple of hours or, you know, have a couple of weeks where they're not as busy, Hey, that's the time that they can work on goals. You know, they can work on personal stuff. So, you know, you have to be really be aware of what's happening and, 
um, have uh, management or leadership with the presence of mind to say, okay, well, what can we do that is, you know, useful during this time? Uh, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, just send people home. You know, I've worked in numerous places in my younger days where, you know, people would just get sent home if it wasn't busy. And it's like, oh man, like what, what else could we do with this time to benefit the business? Yeah. But it's hard to see things that way for sure in some cases. Or, and this is really, uh, I know it's out there and don't laugh at me. Or sometimes people can just take a breather and just chill and collect it and get revitalized because particularly this year, it's go, 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 go. There is nowhere to have any kind of ability to recharge. So maybe it's a nice thing to do as a business owner. It's like, yeah, it is a slow day. I maybe send you home with pay Mm -hmm. or, but just take a breather, enjoy it, recharge because it will get busy again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, So that's my win. Love it. Okay. Well, my win is tangentially uh, job related. So (laughs) this story is out of Washington, uh, the University of Washington Center for Conservation Biology. So there's a gal there, Deborah Giles, and she rescued a dog uh, from a shelter. And this is a very lovely dog. There's a pretty cute picture of it on this article that we'll put in the links. Um, But as uh, Deborah had her dog Eba for a while, she noticed that Eba had like a very, very astute nose. Like she could find stuff. She was very interested in smells. So she said to herself, hmm, how can I use this in my work? So uh, Eba got enrolled in Conservation Canines. It's a program that trains dogs to hunt for, wait for it, marine wildlife droppings. So hmm. yeah, so long story short, Eba accompanies Deborah out on boats. And there's a pretty cute picture of uh, the dog, the owner and some killer whales. And Eva can tell if a whale that's gone by has pooped. And if so, she points it out so that the biologists can collect it. I guess there's like amazing amounts of information uh, that can be gleaned from whale poop. So uh, like they can, it can indicate uh, if it's a female and the female's pregnant and how far along uh, they can check out toxic chemicals um, genetics, general health, stress levels, all this stuff they can figure out from poop. So I thought that was, uh, I thought it was very HR related because Eva has a very important job. Uh, but I thought it was a pretty cute story and really interesting. Uh, you know, I never even considered that you would need whale poop detection dog, but here we are. I uh, would never have thought of that. But <laughs> so good. That's amazing. It's pretty cute. Anyway, definitely. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Likes. Yeah, yeah, send the links. Sorry. Anyway, Katie, uh, great chatting again. Have a great weekend. Keep well, and we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. 